0: I'm Renee Von Medding. Welcome to Disordered, a podcast about food, our relationship with our bodies, and learning to live and love yourself again. I am not an expert in eating disorders, but I am someone who has lived with one for almost two decades. I'm not here to give medical advice, but simply to try and unpick some of the complexity of disordered eating through a series of conversations I will have with people who are speaking from first-hand experience. Disordered eating will impact each and every one of us at some point in our lives. I want to delve deeper. At what point does disordered eating become an eating disorder? Through looking closer at the spectrum of these mental illnesses, I hope that you will be challenged in your own view of what an eating disorder looks like. This week, I got to sit down and speak with Kelly, mother of two from County Meath. She has struggled with binge eating disorder from a very young age. Aside from her eating disorder, she has suffered from additional medical complications and the added stigma that people of size face in Ireland.
1: All right. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Hi, Renee. How are you? Thanks for coming in. Thank you.
0: Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from?
1: Um, so, um, are you from I'm, Trim? Or I'm from a small village okay. uh, called Summerhill, about seven miles from Trim. Mm-hmm. Um I'm I turn 42 next week. Um wow. I'm married to Shay. Um and I have two boys, Robert is 10 and Harry is 7. And we've lived in Trim for about 9 years now. So um the boys are in school there and I'm at home full-time with them. Lovely. And do yeah. you
0: have lots of family around? Do you have siblings, I'm, parents?
1: I'm, I've got two brothers and two sisters, mm-hmm. so I'm the fourth of five children. I'm um, number four, too. Number four, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have a brother and two sisters older than me, and then I have a younger brother. Mm-hmm. And they all still live in Summerhill, where we're from. Nice,
0: so pretty close. Near my
1: parents, yeah. So I'm kind of the furthest away.
0: Um, so when you were growing up, you are the f- you were at number four. Yes. Um, was there a big age gap?
1: There was. Um, so my brother and two sisters who are older than me, mm-hmm. they were like kind of steps of stairs uh, when they were born. And <laughs> one then after the other. One after another. <laughs> Usually I think there was kind of maybe like 12 to 18 months between oh, each wow. of them. And then there was a six year gap mm-hmm. between... Yvonne and I and um, and then David is younger than me so um, it in some ways it kind of felt like two families Um for me anyway that was my experience yeah. of a growing up kind of the older ones when they were teenagers we were kids yeah and then when we were teenagers they, they were, were kind gone, of young like, adults yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, but I'm still very close to them now so I think as you get older you develop those relationships more definitely yeah
0: um and do you remember kind of like what were you like as a child like your personality
1: yeah I I remember kind of being very uh aware and very um I don't know if this is everybody else's experience but I suppose now as an adult I look back and I think I was very um sensitive and I felt Mm -hmm. everything and I was quite emotional you would take comments to heart yeah I really did Mm. and um I I just kind of I always felt different Mm. from a very young age um and I don't really have any kind of memories of you know bonding very closely with my siblings then yeah um probably with David because we were the closest in age and we were always kind of named like the kids you know we were the two kids um and so yeah I kind of I I was a real thinker I'm still like that now um and so that's kind of my memories of like just feeling everything I don't know if that's uh, if I know it it definitely it definitely makes
0: sense yeah like someone who just yeah, you I absorb, just was very you aware things, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I
1: see one of my boys actually is very like that. Yeah, yeah. I have one so, of those too. Yeah. yeah. And uh maybe back then people didn't really recognize it or mm. I think as well sometimes, you know, it was like, "Oh, Kelly, you're you're sensitive or you, you know, come on, stop crying or stop, get over you it. know, yeah. get over it." And that, there was always a negative connotation to it.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a positive thing. Yes. It wasn't that this can be a strength of yours. It was always exactly. a, yeah, a bad so thing. So now
1: I try to kind of, when I see one of my boys, mm-hmm. I try to kind of nurture that and, and encourage it, yeah. say that's a, it's yeah. a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing to be empathetic and so on.
0: Through this podcast, it's been very evident to see the commonality between how most eating disorders can develop. For most people, it is a gradual process, beginning with the need to control something that feels unmanageable whether that's a trauma within the family or managing the shame one feels at their appearance. Disordered eating can seem to present very differently on the physical spectrum. However, the psychological and practical causes of it can be very similar. So before anything started in any sort of relationship with yourself and with food kind of started changing, do you remember a time when it wasn't an issue? Like, do you remember being a child and just kind of... You know, like I'm sure looking at your own boys, just yeah. looking at them the way they are with with, you know, food and their bodies. And as a child, it's just you don't even think twice about it. You just yeah. enjoy your dinners and your and lunches that's and that's it. You know, yeah,
1: very vaguely. I don't have a huge amount of memories mm. prior to kind of when the disordered eating started and. Mm. Um, I probably started to have a very negative relationship with food as young as maybe eight, seven or eight. Mm. I remember kind of eating in secret in the bathroom and feeling what I didn't really realize at the time what it was. But I now know it was shame. Yeah. Um, And I kind of had this like secretive and like almost like I'd done something really wrong. Mm -hmm. And yet in that moment, I just was shoving the food into my mouth and you Know, not even tasting it, just yep. It kind of doing this thing and not really understanding it. So, prior to that, I have a few memories of like maybe day trips and things that we did as a family, mm. but um, a lot of my memories would be kind At of that time was after, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so do you remember, like you said, if it started around seven or eight, was there something? in particular that happened was it a gradual thing was I it think just it was
1: gradual yeah. I think it was very how I felt about myself like mm-hmm. I now have a seven-year-old and I kind of often look at him and think you know I you know I wonder like I look at him and how he plays and how he's on his bike and like his biggest worry is you know Maybe they're going to have a play date or, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and and life just looks very simple. And yet, so I kind of feel sad sometimes because I think of Kelly as that seven or eight Your year baby. old and feeling very different and, mm. and thinking like very deep. And so, um, no, I wouldn't say there was any one particular event that caused it or started it. I think it was a gradual thing about how I felt about my body and how I looked um, I suppose like most kids in the 80s I had this very blunt fringe like and <laughs> <laughs> tooth missing, and you know and school photos and kind of just not liking who I was mm-hmm. so I think it was a very slow gradual kind of self-image even at that age
0: yeah and do you remember like during those years because I know like society is changing slowly yeah slowly but surely not fast enough but it is changing and people are a little bit more aware of the things that they say to people and especially yeah. young adults but like do you remember during that time people commenting
1: yeah massively. and saying
0: things to you and you know the negative things and like how how did that kind of impact the development of the yeah I
1: I remember um friends of my mom calling or being in the house and um their they had like maybe her her mom and sister or whatever. They were old ladies and they were comparing me to one of their grandchildren mm. and um, commenting on what I was wearing and that it wouldn't, you know, it, it doesn't look great on girls and it makes them, you know, look very pudgy. And mm. the words puppy fat was... Um, Don't of, even... Yeah, I, I can't even hear that because yeah. that was
0: something that was said to me a lot. Yeah,
1: it's thrown around yeah. very like, um, you know,
0: like almost as a cutesy word. Yeah, yeah like, like the, not necessarily you know. like a very bad thing, but you yeah, hear no, it I don't as, think it was ever yeah. seen
1: as a bad thing. Yeah. And certainly, like my mom would have, if she felt it was bad, I'm sure she would have, sure, you know, intervened or whatever. But it was just like open, mm. free for all kind of to comment and how you looked, yeah, how I looked, and I probably. Was maybe on uh, you know slightly heavier side than the average girl, but I didn't carry a massive amount of weight. When I look back on photos and things now, um, I certainly didn't. So it just felt like I was um up for discussion and kind of you know they could say what they liked, um, and it it probably didn't come from a bad place. It was just. As you say, like,
0: that's the unfortunate thing. A lot of times it doesn't come from a bad place, but the impact that it has. Yeah, because I remember feeling
1: in one particular that incident that I was saying when they were in the house, I remember wearing like a green tracksuit and like that's 30 odd years ago. But I still remember where I was standing, what Mm. I was wearing, how I felt, how I looked. And so you start to think. You know, I suppose it's like the saying mud sticks. You start to think like there's something wrong with you or, you know, you're not good enough. So those feelings kind of were cemented very early on, you know.
0: We live in a society where being thin is widely accepted. Eating disorders, namely anorexia, are one of the only mental illnesses where a side effect of being thin is usually congratulated. On the flip side of that... Binge eating disorder is looked down upon and often viewed with disgust. People living in larger bodies can be labelled with unfair preconceptions such as being lazy, which only adds to the mental health struggles they may be facing. On top of dealing with the actual eating disorder, those who suffer from binge eating disorder also have to put up with the sizism that exists in our society. Sizeism is discrimination or prejudice directed against people because of their size and especially because of their weight. I know that you have been, you know, diagnosed with binge eating disorder yes. and you've been through treatment. I just want to kind of touch on that because sure. people, when you say the term, like the word eating disorder or disordered eating, people just think like skinny white girl. And totally. that's kind of like the like, you know, the waif like yeah, and I And that is so far from the truth. So far And like from how it. how do you feel as someone with a different eating disorder yeah. and like do you feel that there's like huge stigma around that?
1: Massive yeah. stigma. I think that's probably as difficult to deal with
0: as the actual as disorder. the actual
1: eating disorder. The eating disorder is kind of one thing that you um live with um on a daily basis. Um and it, in lots of ways, it becomes very automatic mm. where the stigma is ever changing. And so you could, you know, on a daily. But even now, like I experience times of where people will say stuff or point and laugh or just with regard to my size mm. or um, and obviously because I'm carrying a lot of weight, I face then difficulties of like seating or uh, even going to the cinema sometimes, or you kind of have to keep pre, you know, emptying like what's going to happen or. um, And so they're embarrassing and you feel ashamed. And then that in turn creates another cycle of um, just inner turmoil, you know, so you're trying to portray like everything's fine. And I suppose you're like the swan, you're trying to keep everything looking normal but underneath you're dying like mm. of embarrassment and it's sometimes it's easier to just stay home you know um but you you kind of get back and you fight it again so the stigma is massive not only just like out in public but also even within like the you know health service like, yeah like how how huge. is it like
0: going to GPs like
1: um, my I'm lucky with my own GP and their um, practice. I suppose I've been there since a baby, so they know they me. They know you, they know and your And there's history, that yeah. relationship developed. And I imagine that they are as good because I've been with them for so long. Yeah. Um, but, you know, other kind of, I like would say, say 90%. Like, say, going
0: through, say, having the babies. I'm.
1: Um. Know. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. It mm. was uh, obviously they kind of. And I've you know, my weight has fluctuated massively sure. over the years. Um so when I had Robert, I didn't have as much weight mm. on me. And then with Harry, I did. And they were two very different experiences mm. Um obviously for I had two planned sections yeah. um, and obviously like the the doctors and the anesthetists, Their priority is your health and the baby's health but I could see kind of the judgment, um, you know, on their faith, the the difference, even when I have my second baby. So, um, it wasn't as bad though. It kind of, I suppose I just, sometimes I just close my eyes and just hope for the best that we just get through whatever. And then I don't have to see that person again. Um, and I think that's just a survival thing that I, I've learned. Um, but in terms of maybe going to see, um, you know, consultant about something or whatever, immediately, the minute they see you, it's there, they put it down to weight or they put it down to, you know, I've gone with a sore knee before to lose weight. Yes. Um, Chest infection, well, you're going to suffer more because of your weight. And so even things that everyday, you know, situations that people suffer all, with. It will
0: always go back to your It'll weight.
1: always go back to your weight. And then I've had very extreme cases of where like just very rude in, in particular. Um, I was diagnosed last year with a heart problem and um, the cardiologist was just he just didn't want to know. He just kind of said I could see him looking me up and down um, and saying there was no point in losing weight. And I tried to explain to him that I had an eating disorder. It was diagnosed and um, I only been in treatment a few um, months previous. And it was just like he he didn't even hear what I was saying. So um, and I know that he has no interest in kind of taking care of my my health. And um, and so you just lose hope kind of in, you know, them because they don't have any hope in you. So, uh, yeah, it's I've kind of had it at every level, really.
0: It's one thing dealing with a disorder. Yeah. And then dealing with society's
1: preconceptions of what yeah and even like my own gp has had you know admitted that um it's a huge problem within the health service that a lot of doctors don't understand um disordered eating and because i'm not anorexic um immediately it's just i'm kind of if someone sees me Perhaps they judge it on I'm sitting at home eating that you couldn't be bothered. you know, chocolate all day, yeah, yeah. 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 or that I just can't mm-hmm. be bothered to lose the weight. Um, if it was that simple, I would have lost that weight 20 years ago. yeah you know.
0: Dieting, as we know, has been proven to be one of the leading causes in the development of eating disorders. While weight loss programs have been of huge benefit to some people, for many, they end up to be more damaging psychologically in the long term. By only dealing with a physical manifestation of a negative relationship with food and your body, you neglect the root cause of the development of this behavior. Really, like the only difference I see, like I don't see any difference between us, really. I don't. I don't see any difference between any of the people I've talked to and me. We all have psychological problems that, you know, manifest in a physical way. And whether that's not eating, whether it's eating all of the things whether it's eating all the things and then puking
1: yes yeah. you know
0: we are all the same like for me when I went to doctors when I was at a kind of normal big air quotes weight yeah and I was sometimes the sickest I've ever been and I would yeah. try to talk about this you are kind of I suppose I wouldn't have the stigma that you would be facing because I would have been in that kind of BMI acceptable to doctors range but very much it would be like well it's not really an eating disorder is it though
1: it's not really though yeah (laughs)
0: because it's only an eating disorder if you're a skeleton yes which is just not
1: true and in a hospital bed or kind of I suppose the images that are sometimes portrayed of um you know people dying with an eating disorder or whatever but there's so many so complex and there's so many layers to it and you know i i too used to kind of think like for years i didn't really understand what was going on i just thought it was my fault kind mm-hmm. of that i was this way and that i was weak and i couldn't lose weight and um i went to different diet Yeah clubs i was going to say have you have you gone
0: to any of you know the the typical yeah I could have shares <laughs> in it really like if really? I, I, I'm sure
1: if I counted it all up but yeah just and how
0: did you find that as an experience did you like at the point when you kind of access those programs did you know that you had an eating disorder no or did you just think I need to just get get it together here
1: I just thought um I suppose kind of so going back to when I was saying about that seven eight year old uh, kind of time lapsed and I would have gained weight and I remember kind of being like um, you know, ten and being ten stone and being eleven and eleven stone. My weight just kind of crept like that. And um I suppose maybe conversations at home about trying to lose weight and um again that deep thinking and and you know, I'd be lying in bed at night and wanting to lose weight and um, you know, then my mom would say, like, we'll we'll try weight watchers or we'll try whatever and going to that and it sometimes it was successful for a few weeks Mm -hmm. um but it was almost like it shifted the the obsession or the kind of calorie counting or the 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 restriction of food Mm. not that I ever really restricted or purged but that it kind of the, the the focus shifted and then I would be like writing everything down and kind of but I'd burn out really quickly and then I would go back to the binge eating. So that was always the primary kind of um disorder. So it might work for a few weeks and then I'd, I'd go back binging. But then it always felt worse because you'd get a little taste of... Uh, taste is probably the wrong word, but like you'd get mm-hmm. um a feeling of, you know, not binging and
0: feeling of what it would like
1: to yeah how good it felt yeah and I always um kind of describe it like you know when my eating disorder is very active it's like a very muddy puddle Mm. you can't really see anything you don't know how deep it is it just feels like it's going on forever and then when I'm not in that active stage it's like just swimming in really clear water and kind of everything's calm I know that might sound strange but
0: no it's a really good analogy I always described mine as being in skinny jeans and then finally getting into your pjs yeah and just (laughs) just being like just comfortable and just comfortable
1: and not having to think um and you know like your head just feels like a hamster wheel like it's just constant
0: the stigma around size has very much invaded our culture There is an obsession and a drive, especially when it comes to women, with being in a smaller body, to take up less space in the world. Food is not a moral issue and calling it good or bad can imply that it is and that the people who eat those foods are inherently good or bad too. Food is not how we should define a human being. It's discriminatory to judge a person's value based on what they eat and it often fails to take into account certain factors. Not everyone has the money to invest in purchasing and preparing foods that are considered healthy. Not everyone has access to farmer's markets, organic produce and other foods that are considered healthy. And when it comes to women, eating a healthy diet is often considered necessary for her to show her femininity. Meanwhile, men are discouraged from appearing too
1: feminine by eating foods like salads. It's almost like a game of chess. You're constantly negotiating. You're constantly... um Hoping that other people don't catch you out. Yeah. Um, or they don't. I used to think if I had a binge, like that, if I walked down the street, like that Joe blogs, oh God, he knows. knows. Yeah, I've yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It's like it's written on your forehead.
1: Yeah. And you internalize that and that then creates more binging and I know it just
0: makes you want yeah so, I used to like yeah. go out and buy my food and I'd I'd be like people know what I'm yeah. doing
1: oh yeah like you <laughs> uh, I've often been in super value and I'm thinking she knows yeah. she knows like yeah, yeah, or yeah. I'm sure she's thinking way better whereas things, actually like, probably yeah.
0: no one's even yeah. yeah
1: so you kind of you become obsessed in a way mm. um or paranoid maybe yeah. um And all the while you're trying to pretend and you're trying to keep, you know, being at school or your friends and you're trying to keep all of those things. And so probably my first diagnosis was at 15. Okay. It wasn't just kind of one period of time where my weight would have stayed, you know, the same. It always changed. Um, And I think as well, I kind of was always hopeful that, you know, say if I had something coming up or a party or a holiday or whatever, I'd be trying to lose weight yeah. um or trying to not binge and trying to be good. Yeah. You know, yeah. and this um and I only in recent years I've tried to stop that kind of good and bad thing. Yeah. And that's very much out there. Very like, much, yeah. Good know, foods, bad foods. Yeah. Or even yeah. my people
0: days would say, like, <laughs> yeah. Are you being
1: good today? Yeah. Like and yeah. that's why I say that too. But yeah. it's it, it's only really when I went into treatment that I realised that you know, there is no such thing. It's it's
0: it's just balance. Yeah,
1: it's just balance and it's just moderation and it's just trying to really. This is a psychological thing, as you yeah. said earlier. It's um, and being in treatment, I remember thinking and worrying beforehand like that, you know, I would be the only overweight person mm. or these people are not going to like me. They're going to judge me. They're not going to get it. Um what would i have in common with somebody who's anorexia um and i said it like before going in i was like i'm not making friends with anybody i'm not like this is <laughs> i'm here for one thing and that's it and, and it couldn't have been further from the truth it was like walking into a room full of mirrors mm. all of these people i could i identify with mm-hmm. i could associate with i felt they were telling my the same story, story yeah. and The bonds and the friendship that you make in those kind of situations, I suppose, were for in some ways were probably the first time that I had really made these very strong um, bonds with people because I could be me, yeah, as opposed to guessing. They would understand,
0: yeah, exactly, and that
1: they they liked me regardless of how I looked or. Mm. If my tummy spilt out over my clothes yeah. when I was sitting or I could, I felt a bit like your analogy of the, <laughs> the PJs. I felt comfortable and I felt I could be me. And yet these people were very different body shapes. Mm-hmm. And um, so you realize that was a big eye opener, even for me, for someone who would lived with it for years, that we are all struggling with very same very similar things it's just, it just how manifests, it manifests. Just differently
0: yeah. um did you access public treatment or
1: private private treatment okay. um i went to lowest bridges okay. in sutton yeah um and i was able to access that through my um health care or uh, my private health care so it's great that you had that which was brilliant yeah. because even back like years ago there was nothing like that there was mm. um There was very little and I've had experiences of through the years of going through the public system and you'd be referred and you might wait nine, ten, twelve months. I had an experience and I waited about five or six months for this referral. And when I went to meet the uh, lady, it was for therapy and she asked me a couple of questions. And when she quickly realized that I wasn't purging, she said to me, oh, I'm really sorry. I can't accept you on this program and I I said why and she said well because you don't you're not anorexic and you're not bulimic um and the hsc only recognized those two wow in this when was it? this would have been about maybe 7 or 8 years ago so it's not that long ago wow, um, that's and she put her crazy. hand on this kind of big textbook um and said like it's in the book it doesn't cover you and i remember crying in her office and saying like what if we start again and i Tell, tell you, I'm Persian. Like yeah. I was that desperate yeah. to, um. And did get she
0: help. recognize that you had a problem and she wanted to yeah, help you? But totally. she just was like, I can't because it.
1: Yeah, you. she was like, they just at the moment they don't. Um, I'm pretty sure they
0: do recognize it now.
1: Perhaps now, yeah. yeah. I I think things are slowly changing. Yeah. Um, but back then, I, I know that I had my first child and probably not my second. So, yeah. that's kind of how I can gauge the time frame. But, um, and yeah, I was sent sent out and that was it closed the door and and gone so then when I heard about Lois Bridges I just found it like googling and I found it and I seen it and I'd never been in treatment I'd spent years in and out of like day programs Mm -hmm. and in the Rutland Centre I went to kind of the EDA meetings Mm -hmm. which were brilliant um but never actually as an inpatient so I just picked up the phone and I rang them and uh, I spoke to Alicia, who's like the the head nurse there. And I just cried. I just cried. Probably I spoke to her for about an hour on the phone because I was in really the depths of despair. Um, It was kind of coming up to Christmas. Mm. uh, It's always a very difficult time. Christmas Christmas is awful. Uh, it? it is <laughs> it's like and the, it's the anticipation of yeah. it so you're waiting for the because yeah. i think as well people generally let their guard down with food yeah. so that gives you kind of free reign to um you know indulge more maybe without people, people watching yeah, yeah. Uh, but typically people stop after christmas yeah but for somebody like i with an eating disorder it would just create snowball. havoc yeah. for me in January, yeah. February and so on. So, um, yeah, we got the ball rolling and I I had to do a couple of different tests and um, bloods and so on and go for a consultation or kind of to meet them. I kind of I fitted all of the criteria for it. And um, so the date then was kind of put in place that I would go in early January. So um, that would have been in 2019.
0: It can be incredibly difficult to spend time on yourself but in order to get better you need to be selfish. If anything this is an act of kindness both to yourself and in turn your loved ones. Healing from years of self-inflicted pain is not going to happen overnight. It's a process and you need the space and time to be able to do that. Much of that healing can happen at home with the right supports in place. The motivation one needs to seek help can be found in many ways. For some, it might be the desire to get better for the sake of their children. For others, it could be their dream job. The understanding of family and connection can be the key to recovery, and so it is vital that family members educate themselves. Did your boys know what was going on? Because um, they would have been at an age where yeah, they would it know was you really that was yeah.
1: my biggest um, the biggest struggle, and I think probably what motivated me mm. to do it but also was probably, probably the thing that would have kept me at home and just said look I can't do this and I had lots of those moments of where
0: back and forth
1: yeah I cried for days like and uh, so I think I was going in maybe around the 5th or 6th of January and so all over Christmas like it was almost like I was going to the gas chambers. Like every time, like they'd say something or open a present or do something, I would be oh. like, "I'm not going to be just, here." Yeah, just yeah. I felt guilty. I mm. felt, you know, like a bad mother, mm. um, and I just felt like, you know, why me? I felt so. There was lots of emotions and frustrations, but I suppose with the support of my family and with Shay and friends that they were saying, you know, look, you're doing the right thing. Your boys will benefit from this and um, you're going to feel better and so on. And this is your kind of time to just to Focus do this. You, yeah. yeah. So Robert's kind of uh, I didn't obviously tell them the the full ins and outs. Um, I told them I was going to do a course Um I did come home at the weekends and so on. And Lois Bridges were very um, good to me in that way that they kind of, I was the only one in treatment at that time that had children. So it was slightly different. And so they were able to work around that with me. Um, So I think, you know, having that kind of people encouraging you and supporting you, that really helped and like my family and friends then kind of helped with the the boys and helped Shay uh, when I wasn't there during the week. I remember saying, I'm doing four weeks. I'm just doing four weeks and <laughs> like uh I constantly but I, I think that was again that's the disordered eating kind of you're negotiating with do them. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um and I'm different and you know I'll get well, these better, people quicker. are sicker than yeah. me. Yeah, so yeah. I just need a quick like quick fix. Yeah. Quick through the car wash and out yeah. the door. I'll be yeah. brand new again. So um when I got in there I realised, Oh God, I'm I need longer I need more time so um towards kind of the the end weeks I wasn't there full time I was kind of going in then on a um Monday and home on a Thursday so I I was able to kind of balance it like that um and then after those 12 weeks you have kind of ongoing um outpatient treatment with your psychologist and dietitian and so on so um yeah it was a real experience it was I did really well when I was in treatment. Um, I learned a lot about myself and about um kind of, you know, just who I was as a person, I suppose. And I know that sounds very corny in some ways, but um it does give you a lot of headspace. And well, I Well yeah,
0: when you're yeah, there and you're just working on you.
1: Totally. And I felt it was like a break, like a holiday from yeah. the eating disorder. Um I know that that might sound strange to some people, but I um, I felt—I suppose—when your head is occupied all the time, um, it's like a full-time job. Full-time job, full-time job. It takes up everything, um, and I felt exhausted Mm. by it. So when you go there, it's almost like they take that from you and say, you know, it's okay. We'll—we'll
0: worry about this. Yeah.
1: So you have nothing to kind of worry, you know, with regard to food or eating. Because you're in a very safe environment. So, your main focus is your recovery. We're more than our bodies. We're more than, you know, like, yes, I live in a bigger body and I have an eating disorder, but there's so much more to me than that. And I think you have to kind of prove yourself a lot more um, because of my body size um, so sometimes you're written off not always but sometimes you are written off kind of um, because of how you look as opposed to maybe seeing what's beneath
0: Are you a nice person?
1: Yes I, I think <laughs> I kind? am <laughs> you Yes know? You, know? you know and that's that's
0: yeah. what matters but unfortunately totally. a lot of times people just take one look and the judgement is Yeah
1: made. and you're on the back foot of immediately because you're trying to convince or prove your worth really Mm. and that can be in the workplace that can be meeting new friends or joining a group or you know anything like that it's uh it's across the board yeah you know as in even for she you know that like he he understands it Mm. um and he has gone to a lot of the um family care meetings and stuff like that Lois Bridges would have and um, provided and stuff and so he would have a very good understanding about it but still um, there would be a lot of kind of I feel like maybe he's watching or I'm sure he's not but in my head I feel yeah and it's really hard
0: for the partners because yeah totally they, they have to watch you know they, yeah. they love you and they want to help you so yeah
1: and I think it's I do think it's very hard for people around you to see you struggle mm-hmm. and to see you suffer and um, and I don't get me wrong it's there's moments of in your life that you're you know you step outside of the eating disorder for whatever length of time and you're happy and you're doing your thing and but it's it's almost like um you have this um invisible person coming with you everywhere yeah. and almost when even when you're not binging and in recovery they're always there almost to say like you know don't worry I'll be back or I'll you know not that you're hearing a voice but yeah I- I- if I could describe it as something it's like another person and um yeah it's that battle and struggle that you have all the time um and so for family to watch and I know for my mom in particular, like she would, you know, say to me, please just try or we'll do this or we'll do that. And, you know, they try to do different things, but. It's so much more if it was complex. a matter of trying, yeah, no one would
0: have. Yeah, because I mean, disorder. I don't
1: I yeah. don't choose to. Live this life yeah. um, of feeling different and and looking different and um you know carrying a lot of weight also brings a lot of other secondary yeah um health issues um like i said with the heart problem last year um that's still ongoing obviously my health is more compromised because of sure. the the eating disorder so um and then i don't feel i'm being kind of treated um you know like others might do maybe yeah. the the correct level of care so you you keep have to you know you're you're battling you're uphill all the time yeah. so um yeah i wish that in some ways i could take that kind of uh pain for other people that are watching because i know it's very hard to watch you know yeah. but it's it's just not that simple if it was i i certainly this is not the path i would choose you know
0: yeah, yeah absolutely
1: Growing up, the
0: messaging that we were bombarded with was that fat was the worst thing that you could eat and the worst thing to be. The food we bought was low fat. The milk we drank was low fat. On a personal note, I still have to actively fight the voice in my head that says that real butter is an enemy. Fatness was almost synonymous with ugliness. The worst thing you could call someone in order to hurt them was fat. Fat is a vital part of our diet and a vital part of our bodies. Your size is only one marker of overall health. According to the World Health Organization, there are many determining factors when we are looking at a person's health. These include genetics, education, income and social status, access to health services, gender, physical environment. Weight or size is only one factor when looking at overall health. One thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's so complex, I'm yeah. like, I'm try I tried to get my head around it and it's just, it's just a really kind of difficult thing to, to kind of navigate, I suppose, is because I am a hundred percent for body positivity. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent for loving the body that you're in, loving yourself, you know, not, not judging who you are based on the size of the clothes you wear or what you look like and you know you see a lot of people in larger bodies who are just amazing like advocates for you know just all sizes all people yeah but then you have someone like you who actually has an eating disorder and it's like trying to differentiate between someone who just is a, a particular size or someone who is a particular size because they have an eating disorder. Yes, yeah. And that's a difficult conversation to have because Yeah. I abso- I would be the last person to ever body shame anyone. But at the same time it's like trying to to navigate all that and then you know all of the kind of these weight loss journeys that people go on and Yes, yeah. You know the the it health is. movement and it's
1: just Yeah. It's really hard because even, you know, say on social media and you see these people who are like body positive and it's kind of refreshing to see because, you know, it, we're like, I, I suppose, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the uh, lady's name. I think it's Tess Holiday mm. She um is a plus size model and she was on the cover of. I don't know Vogue or Time or something some big magazine yeah. anyway last year and this was the first time that a plus size uh, model was shown on on the cover and it never dawned on me until I seen that that I thought oh my god I've never seen somebody who looks like me yeah on that Um, I just presumed that you know you have to be thin to be on the cover and yeah. to be and it was like a bit of a light bulb moment of like i wonder what it would have been like growing up and seeing more of these models yeah. um and more of these people kind of just being positive i think it was just back then it was very negative like mm-hmm. if you weight was you know and there was atkins diet and yeah yeah uh Lipotrim and all of these kind of crazy very extreme things and so It's 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 almost like it's ingrained in you. It's so deeply ingrained that it's automatic for me that when I, you know, um, see these on the cover, you know, of of slimmer people or whatever. And um, so I know that it's it's difficult for people to change. But when I saw that lady last year, I remember thinking, hopefully this is the beginning of just more acceptance. Like, okay, people can be very cruel about Weight, um, you know, and size, and and the, there's always this kind of thing of like fat and ugly. It's almost like they're tied together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and that it's okay to say that. Um, and you know, even maybe growing up as a teenager, or as a child, or whatever, older child, like, you know, if friends at school if they fell out with you or whatever, it was the first thing that they thing would say that they you. would attack you with, yeah. um. Were now kind of if if that was said to me you know by someone like a stranger or whatever, well really it says more about them than it does about me, but back then, I just didn't know didn't that. know how to deal with it, but kind of going back to your question about the the body positivity, I think we just need maybe more seeing more people who are you know positive and happy in their bodies um I think there would be a lot less maybe disordered eating just more acceptance and i mean if we were all to have the same body shape same hair color same i mean life would be pretty boring boring, you know
0: (laughs) when we encounter strangers we often make split-second judgments assumptions about them based on how they look kelly is a perfect example of this she has spoken to me about how when people meet her they often make assumptions about who she is as a person What they don't know about her is that she is an incredibly kind and sensitive woman who is a beloved wife, mother, daughter, and friend. She is a person who has battled with an extremely dangerous eating disorder for most of her life. She is battling a mental illness, and yet because of her size, she is stigmatized and looked down on. I challenge those of you listening to examine your own feelings when you see people in large bodies. Are you
1: judging? even coming here today I was thinking of you know if I if I could have one wish about it like I wish that people would realize that okay it might be fun to laugh at somebody maybe if they're bigger or they're wedged in a seat or they're finding it hard to kind of walk up a flight of stairs but you know what there's always a story behind that person and they don't realize that maybe I found it hard to get up maybe that morning or um I've had like a food hangover um, feeling dizzy, feeling sick. You know, there's so many other things that happen that people just don't see. You put your best foot forward and just kind of pretend it's not happening. Um, so, yeah, I kind of wish that people would maybe just think before they point or laugh or, you know, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. You kind of answered my my que- my next question there. Um, but I was going to ask, what what is your hope for? The world that your boys grow up in, you know, what is your hope for them and their relationship with themselves, with food, with how they look, with what shape they are and with the people around them?
1: What is I your hope? I think acceptance? I think acceptance that we're all different, we're all unique. Um, You know, as I said earlier, like if we were all the same, we'd be really boring. And even, you know, I've had awkward conversations, maybe at times where uh, one of my children said to me, you know, um, somebody at school had said his mom was fat about me. And I remember that sinking feeling of like my eyes you know stinging ready to cry and but i remember saying to him you know what though like we're all different and um if we all looked the same you wouldn't know that i was your mom like we'd you know you'd you'd confuse us all and <laughs> we're all different and that's yeah. what makes us us like and it's only one part and i remember him kind of going oh yeah okay and he went sense. off he was happy yeah. um
0: Kids are just so yeah. Aren't they, they just
1: they they look beyond that, mm. and so yeah. I think I just wish acceptance and that you know we're just happy in our own skin. I think there's so many people out there that suffer with um, body dysmorphia or disordered eating um, and don't feel good enough, mm. and that's kind of the root of a lot of the the problem. And I think. If we just accepted each other more, like we wouldn't feel that pressure then to to be a certain way. And then that would, you know.
0: Totally. If we could accept others more, maybe it would allow us to accept ourselves. A totally, bit more.
1: Yeah. Because the pressure is always from external sources. Like we, we put it we put that pressure on ourselves, but. It always comes from external Yeah, what you're things. seeing in the media, the totally. people who are
0: around you, the the magazines that you're looking at, yeah, the T V programmes that you see.
1: Yeah. And we don't realise we're no we're it's kind all of it's constantly going like, in because yeah.
0: especially now we're just constantly being bombarded yes, yeah. by digital media and we don't realise.
1: Yeah, and even, you know, um like music videos, you yeah. know, um kind of If you don't look a certain way, you're not, you're you're not not cool or you're not accepted or you're not whatever. And so, yeah, I think if we just had more acceptance, I mean, the world would be a much across the world. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like that. That is it. Like we, you know, you kind of wonder why we put ourselves under this stress, but it's because you we all want to belong. We all want to feel accepted, you know.
0: Yeah. That's us thank you, you so much for um being so open really um i think this was an important conversation to have and um you should be very proud of yourself for, thank you thank for you for telling listening it, i probably you know? rambled
1: a bit but uh, nope. hopefully nope. i've got some some points across so thank you for for talking
0: If you need medical advice, please speak to a professional. You can contact BodyWise, the national charity for eating disorders in Ireland on 01-210-7906. Or you can get in touch with the Merino Therapy Centre, specialists in eating disorder recovery, through their website on www.merinotherapycentre.com. Thank you again for listening, and I hope that this conversation has been helpful to you in some way. I'm Renee von Medin and this has been Disordered.